Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. The San Francisco Bay Area has long played a key role in America's digital revolution. From the rise of the microchip to today's software giants like Facebook and Google, but why has the tech sector remained so geographically concentrated for so long? And is that something the government needs to fix? To answer that question and delve into the recent changes in the geography of the tech sector during the pandemic, I brought on Mark Muro. Mark is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and policy director of Brookings Metro. He and fellow researcher Yang Yu recently authored Superstars, Rising Stars, and the Rest, Pandemic Trends and Shifts in the Geography of Tech, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here, Jim. Why has the American tech sector remained so concentrated in so few places, particularly San Francisco and the Bay Area? Is that because of broad economic forces? Is that because other things happening in those regions? What do we know for sure about that? Yeah, okay, so first fact, uh, kind of descriptive fact is all of these places had really high BA attainment in like 1970. So there are high human capital places. And then they had early mover or first mover advantage. And then my part of the thesis or the theory here is that there are particular things about digital that angle it towards winner take most dynamics and superstar dynamics. And these aren't like, nobody's doing anything wrong. These are how the technology works. And these are issues around network effects. It's a huge one. Uh, they're centers of big platforms, the way these industries have joined. So they're command control centers. And, and then the most obvious one that is talked about most is you know, the huge power of agglomeration effects in human capital uh, around skills acquisition. And being big and being uh, identified center early has made a huge difference for those places. So very, there are a limited number of what we call superstar hubs. And I would say they're not going anywhere. One point of clarification, what is agglomeration uh, economics? So these are the effects of large concentrations of, of, uh, of people or other effects where there's a significant benefit to having uh, large returns. You know, so, so you get significant concentration here and there are benefits of that concentration and most obviously acquisition of highly skilled workers. This might be obvious, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is special about digital, about the digital economy that seems to lend itself to this kind of concentration supported by these agglomeration effects? Well, I mean, this is not primarily a infrastructure economy. It's hugely a human capital 
economy. So I think that has allowed an accentuated version of the agglomeration effect. I mean, there are other aspects to affect the availability of particular inputs and so on, but it's particularly pronounced because it's about the acquisition and concentration of people. And that can be also marshaled quickly. And I think that adds to the speed that you can see in the accumulation of, of, the, of these economies. So it's about human capital. So it's not because it's not because they're located by rivers or the ocean or by, uh, by, by coal mines or something, abundant energy. Those aren't the key factors here, making these places uh, uh, long lasting hubs. It's who's there. Absolutely. And, and you might think that that would be more ephemeral than a river mouth or something, but it turns out to be quite durable. Uh, and, and, and because of these huge returns to, to the same inputs, you can get this self-reinforcing uh, uh, dynamic that we think has been really powerful in this economy and extremely central to, to the special sauce of US you know, achievement in this field. So as far as, as cities being superstar cities for this kind of talent, they're not over. So what we're not gonna talk about a scenario where they quit being important, where the Bay Area quits being important for tech. Uh, the, I guess maybe, I, maybe I'm assuming some of these, some of the other cities, New York, Austin, uh, Austin, are these the cities we're talking about? And they, and they will be durable uh, as far as being centers of this talent. Yeah, I don't see them going anywhere. And in fact, uh, we've seen them increasing their share. I mean, through the entire last decade, I think lots of observers uh, have been waiting for some kind of decentralization and it's not occurred. And I think, I think that is because of these special you know, superpowers that we're talking about here. And that's especially important for early stage activity, all of the things that we've been talking about uh, really piles on for, you know, innovative, creative work in these fields. So we should expect durability. We, we maybe shouldn't expect permanency. But there are other cities which are, which are rising, doing better. What are those cities and what do we know about why they seem to be doing better as far as attracting this kind of talent? Yeah, we see a, a fairly large number of places of all different sizes uh, uh, seeing some upticks during uh, the pandemic. But you're exactly right. There's a list of fairly sizable, often Sunbelt uh, metropolitan areas ranging from the Atlantas and Dallases of the world to a Denver, for instance, uh, that are actually quite sizable, so they can replicate some of the uh, virtues of size that, that the superstars enjoy. They are almost all uh, anchored by substantial uh, research university, uh, have pretty decent climate, seems, seems to be showing up as something here, uh, and then do have pretty rich pools of technical talent. And so 
not for all activity, but it's beginning to look like those are very attractive places for a lot of activity in tech. And we're beginning to see either moves into them by uh, firms or, or just organic growth in these places. And I think that, so, so I think there are a number of things going on, but we're beginning to develop a next tier that is you know, quite, quite formidable and, and sort of challenging for superstar status. And to what extent does any advantages that next year have? Is it, uh, is it an affordability issue? Those places are, 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 are cheaper to live. What makes them, is there something else that makes them additionally attractive if companies are looking to locate, if people are, look, if people are looking to relocate uh, other than some of these other factors like universities? So you can look at that group and they do seem to have some uh, feel for entrepreneurialism. They seem to be fairly free, freewheeling, uh, clearly at least temporary for now, uh, significantly cheaper. Uh, I think that's part of it. Uh, and, and, and those things seem to be counting. And then they do have, you know, and they are, and they are, and do have uh, warm weather, uh, which I think is part of it. Did the pandemic change anything? It, it did. Uh, I think the first, it's a two-track reality. There's no doubt that those big superstar centers on the coast remain entrenched, remain, uh, you know, dynamic in many, many cases, and uh, uh, actually slightly increase their share. If you look at the these eight uh, uh, biggest ones. So, that, that remains, but we're seeing, we do see a very vibrant uh, performance by these rising stars, these sizable, uh, often Sunbelt, uh, bigger places. And then I think quite interesting, uh, dozens of medium-sized and smaller places, often quality of life meccas or uh, college towns, uh, that actually started growing in a new way. And we saw, we see at least for a year and, and with some further signals through the pandemic, you know, growth, we, we count something like 60 places that grew faster during the pandemic than before it. Now, I think this, this is evidence of some of the remote work effect, I think. These might be the kind of Zoom towns that people are wanting to talk about. You know that are supported or or gained from footloose, uh, you know, tech workers arriving with their laptops and more, but working for elsewhere. Is it also places where you can also you can also buy a house? So <laughs> you're not stuck in an apartment. If you have a family, you can actually have a house. We could have a home office. Is that is that part of it? Yeah, I think very much so. Uh, you know, and I think these are not huge numbers in these places. Uh, so they. We may be seeing a temporary effect, but there seems to be uh, something real there. And I think, I think you put your finger on aspects of it. It's a mix of quality of life, ability to, to, to work uh, in this industry, and then you know, maybe, maybe cost effect, effects for sure. And speaking, we've talked about durability. So what, 
and maybe this is temporary. So what is the durability of that phenomenon? If we don't see big deadly waves of COVID, uh, do things begin to sort of drift back to the way they, they were? I, I think the open questions are around remote work for one, and then whether there's a, a substantial change in, in citing uh, uh, posture of big companies. But on the, uh, I think the remote work question is interesting. To the extent that we drift into a kind of hybrid, where, and that seems to be the leading candidate right now, a hybrid, more hybrid work, more people spending, some work, some work remotely, but some in the office, that will kind of limit the extent of this, uh, you know, kind of remote work Zoom town piece of this. But we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think there are signals that we're going to pull back a bit, but I think most people agree we're, that things will not be the same and that there'll be substantial amounts of remote work. You know, I mean, Nick Bloom at Stanford is talking about you know, uh, two to three days a week in office. That's substantial. That's a, that's a pretty massive change from, we, yeah. you know, I've seen his research from, you know, people maybe working out of the office one, you know, one day a month or something to yeah. doing it two or three days a week. I mean, that, that, is a, that is a huge change. Right. You know, so, so I think this is unfinished. Uh, we, you know, we, the effects I've been discussing may be, uh, you know, a temporary uh, uh, disruption. But I, I also think we're not going back to where we were before. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Meanwhile, there could be, uh, there are other effects. I think we are not talking, we're maybe talking too much about Zoom towns and footloose workers and not talking uh, enough about the citing predilections of these companies. And I think there are reasons that they are moving into the interior as well. Uh, maybe some regulatory, uh, some uh, about wanting a different, uh, uh, you know, sect of the coastal mindset and groupthink as uh, other, but also uh, seeking just an insatiable uh, need for talent and the recognition that people aren't necessarily going to move to Seattle move to the Bay Area. So they're also moving in. I think there's in the pipeline already substantial, you know, significant adjustment of the, of the current footprint because you've got, you know, pretty long list of either headquarters moves or new satellite office moves. I think there's gonna be a lot of neat desire to access diverse talent, say in the South or uh, and, and Atlanta and, and communities like that. And so I think we have a lot of things, uh, several cross currents at once. So that may be the more durable and then a sort of somewhat moderation of the footloose uh, story. Is there a difference between the kinds of workers who, uh, who are not showing up at the office or maybe moving elsewhere uh, because when we talk about these sorts of, uh, you know, agglomeration effects and how they've played out in places like the Bay Area, you know, you've, you know, you've seen, you know, people who may have been engineers at a tech company, maybe they leave and they start their own company. Are those the kinds of people 
maybe maybe moving to Zoom areas, or is it more like the marketing people? And does that make a difference? Who's sort of going into the office? Who's at headquarters? Uh, or, or or does that not matter? And it's kind of everybody. I mean, I think the fundamental purpose of the core uh, superstar hubs to date has been to congregate, you know, technical engineering talent, design talent, the most, the highest end creative activity. But it seems like those were all workers, but especially those workers have been able to exert a lot of worker power here. And they, they may be have, uh, uh, may on the one hand be most uh, likely to demand to be somewhere else, but they're also going to be very important to the to the to the firms. And so this is where I I think the firms may wind up creating decentralized networks within themselves. You know, a lot of satellite uh, locations, so they can retain those workers and sort of square the circle with you know remote work tied to our Texas office or our Nashville office. I haven't seen research on the difference of different, different behavior of different you know, types of workers, but I think it could, it could, there could be something there. Has anything during the pandemic changed the ability of places which don't have very many of these companies, which don't have much of this, their talent, you know, maybe they're called these left behind areas in the, in the Midwest. Uh, and there's all this interest in creating little mini innovation tech hubs in these areas. Yeah. Is that happening at all? And, and most of what we've talked is about is very bottoms up, what companies sort of want, what workers want. Um, yeah. You know, that, are they just going to stay left behind? Is all, you know, they're, you know, I can see Salt Lake City you know, like a Salt Lake City or Miami, but some cities, I, I'm not sure if there's, you know, if there's, a, if there's an obvious fix. Yeah, I think there are limits to this. I mean, uh, I think a, a popular response has been to encourage footloose work by handing out, you know, sort of uh, incentives. But I think these are inherently small bore and are not going to be transformative to communities. They they may, but but the remote work, uh, you know, vision is very attractive, and 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 I think, you know, has been embraced by some of these communities. But I don't think that it could be transformative at scale. I think that is a challenge. I think that we are working out some ways to help somewhat larger places that have a toehold in this in in this sector to to may may gain uh, traction and i think that some of we can talk about some of the you know interplay of federal support with in my view you know what needs to be bottom up strategy and so on uh, but i think that is for a bit bigger places, something that, that is possible. So those need to be places that have a toehold, that have something going for them. Maybe there is a, maybe there is a university yeah. there where there's already an exist, some existing tech company. <laughs> maybe the weather's not so bad. I don't know. But they have to sort of, they can't just be a blank page. Yeah. Within reason, 
we, we know some of the things that matter, right? It is a research one university with a substantial computer science presence is, is one thing that matters. Uh, you know, a pool of technical and engineering workers is a core. Some kind of presence already so that there are, there is an emerging differentiated technical uh, presence. Those things are really important. And I think to the extent we agree that a degree of decentralization of this industry and the uh, surf the emergence of more centers is a good thing, then we should, you know, we should be focusing on a particular group of these places that do have some of these starting attributes. Two questions. One, why is, I'm not, I just don't want to assume it. So why is decentralization uh, a good thing? Yeah. And, then, and then two, what, is, what can government do for these cities which maybe have a bit of a, uh, a, a toehold? So uh, why, why, why do we care? And, and then assuming we right. do care for a good reason, what should government do? Right. So I think we, we care from a national competitiveness and welfare uh, uh, perspective. Uh, we now have too much tech in too few places with incredible accumulating side effects, externalities of costs, uh, you know, real estate costs, transportation costs, and some would argue, you know, problems of groupthink in the industry, you know, narrowness of the industry. And meanwhile, though this is our, you know, most dominant industry globally, you know, we actually have relatively few truly significant hubs. Uh, we, you know, I think we need more of them to compete even with China's depth. China has, you know, you know, created dozens of centers, you know, scores of them really. So I think we need more uh, of these in broad, a broader array of places. I think we're also, there's a political, uh, political economy dimension. I think we're losing a sense of consensus about innovation and about even tech uh, because so much of the country feels it is extremely remote, uh, feels it's a, a, a coastal elite activity. And so for all these reasons, I think we do need more. Well, let me just jump on that then. So some, some might say that uh, despite issues of affordability and maybe strains on infrastructure and maybe um, groupthink, that clearly these companies still find a lot of value being where they're at. So sort of the, uh, the concentrated nature is sort of passing the market test because it must still seem to, right. to work. And just because China has a lot of tech centers doesn't mean we should necessarily right. do that. Absolutely. And yeah, nobody should be talking about erasing the hubs that we have built up, which you know, or demonstrably have been extremely successful over the last 25 years. So to what extent 
does this decentralization, will it actually make companies and tech and therefore our economy more productive? How much is, is that the reason we should do this? And how much is, uh, if it was more spread out and there were more Americans and more legislators who felt invested, that it would be easier to spend more money on R&D because they would feel that the whole country was benefiting. I, I think it is both, but I think that I think we do have fundamental innovation challenges. Uh, I think the talent collection, uh, the talent matching uh, process seems to be breaking down. Uh, we can't rely on mobility and migration uh, from the interior to these coastal expensive metropolises. Uh, so just for a matter of accessing the ideas necessary to drive the innovation system, you know, I think we need a, 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 a more decentralized uh, system. But uh, I'm the last one to, uh, you know, think we should erase or reduce the effective, you know, the cent centrality of these hubs. We can have both. Uh, and, and I think that we have seen things become more, so much more concentrated that I think we've, we're sort of hitting the wall on, on actual productivity and innovation questions. Remember one thing, I'm not just talking about the presence of these uh, hubs uh, and, and in relation to the rest of, of, of the sector, we're, we've, we have shown that the, the share uh, that of the overall national industry has increased and it's still increasing. So I think that we need to be thinking about some, uh, tuning this platform to, to make sure that it can, can retain its effectiveness. Uh, so, so, so when thinking about government policy, is this, is, the, is, this a, is this more a, a, a federal policy? Is this state and local? What, what do you want done? Who's going to do it? Yeah. I mean, uh, because we're talking about a con continent scale system, there's clearly got to be a national uh, uh, purview. If we want something different to happen, we'll have to intervene in that system. Uh, with that said, you know, I think the, the, the sweet spot is that of federal resources flowed into promising places with a bottom-up public-private uh, suggestion of, of strategy and, and technology strengths based on locally uh, access strength. So, so, you know, I think it's... Nobody's talking about a top-down uh, effort, but we are talking about a, a national resources flowed into bottom-up uh, problem solving. And I think that's the story of you know a Madison, a St. Louis, Austin, and especially some somewhere like the Research Triangle. Uh, so there's a role for independent, you know, strong, uh, well-informed regional uh, stakeholders and initiatives close to 
their strengths in the industry, but federal federal support is needed to to really alter the transition the the trajectory somewhat. Sir, are you familiar with the Jonathan Gruber plan in his book Jumpstart, which would yeah. spend a lot of money, and he he had I think you know all these metrics, different places would be competing for federal funds. Is that kind of what you're talking about, or do you have a sort of a different approach? Yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, and, and we work uh, with Jonathan and Simon also on a proposal for, uh, you know, regional tech hubs, which is essentially a R&D and innovation surge at quite a large dollar amount into a relatively few places uh, and with some targeting of particular strategic industries of national and strategic importance. Um, you know, I think there is, I think this is the broad architecture that can work in the United States because it's both centralized in terms of uh, resource, resources, but decentralized in terms of strategic growth, strategic development, uh, and and, uh, you know, I would say marshalling public-private uh, inter- interactions. And these, and all competitive, by the way. Uh, we began talking about how the digital economy uh, was different and lent itself to this kind of concentration. Uh, do we need, but do we need better of the old, the old kind of economy? Do we need better infrastructure? Do we need so people can agglomerate with each other? Do we need high-speed rail? Do we need you know, faster broadband? Do we need any of that stuff so people can bounce ideas off each other and have meetings and everything's not Zoom? And can we, is, is that important here or is that just an old way of thinking? Well, and absolutely. And with at the top of the list, uh, steps to, to make sure that we are building sufficient uh, housing, because that becomes the pinch point in every one of these trajectories, and including the new hubs that we hope will emerge or that are emerging are already going down the same trajectory, often of seeing you know tremendous housing price inflation that becomes then a limit on their own uh, effectiveness, their own innovative capabilities. So all of this is you know extremely important and very much part of the system that's needed. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. Great. Thanks, Jim. 